Uh, well, we are in a new series, uh, started last week, called Sent. And uh, this series comes out of John 20, 21, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me into the world, so I am sending you. And I've just really been resonating with this like really deeply because I feel like if you can capture as a Christian, like from your heart of hearts, like wherever God has you in the spaces and places out in the world that you are sent there by the living God, it will radically reorient how you live in the world. Like when Jesus said, like, hey, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, he wasn't just like trying to like come up with something clever, but he really meant it. Like God is sending us as his people. We gather to scatter into the world to bear witness to Christ. And I've talked about this last week, but oftentimes in the church, discipleship or formation uh, often focuses on our new life in Christ. So we talk about prayer, community, uh, spiritual disciplines, all sorts of things, like anxiety, all these things that we should cover, absolutely. This is our new life in Christ and how do we live with him, but we also have a new life in the world that God is calling us to. And so for so last week, uh, Enoch taught, which was wonderful, and you can listen on the podcast if you missed last week, but for the next kind of couple of weeks, we're gonna be talking about the mission that God has called us out into the world and what it actually means to be equipped in that. And so tonight, we're gonna talk about everybody's favorite, talk, everybody's favorite topic, work. Oh, yeah. I know. I was like, I was telling the prayer team before this, I was like, I feel like people show up to 710 to just not think about work. And then, uh, and I, I was like, I don't think I've ever heard somebody say, you know, I heard this sermon on work and it absolutely changed my life. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's a really, really important topic to talk about. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but let's jump into it. So uh, I, I read a study that was done in 2017. And it was talking about how, it was kind of allotting how many years or months or whatever, how much time you would give to certain things in your life over the course of your life. So in this study done in 2017, uh, it said on average, uh, the average person spends about 80 years living life. So um, average, we got 80 years on earth. And of those 80 years, uh, I love this. I'm, I'm just going to share some of these things with you. It, it, it's pretty fun. So 300, only 334 days will be spent on school. And that's talking specifically primary and secondary education, which is like, many of you are like, thank God, it's only 334 days. I'm wrapping up my master's, and I'm like, I'm ready for school to be done. But in the 80 years of your life, you will only spend 334 days on school, maybe a little bit more, but that's it. Uh, you will spend, this is actually, this, this shocked me, you will spend one year and three days socializing. So out of the 80 years, only a year and three days of that will actually be spent socializing. Uh, now, obviously, that can give or take based on who you are in the room. And I know we have some extreme extroverts, but for us introverts, one year and three days. Um, okay, so we'll spend one year and 30 days on romance. I'll let you fill in the blank what that means. But in your life, over the course of 80 years, about one year and 30 days will be spent on romance. That includes buying flowers, dinner dates, and the other stuff. So... Um, uh, about one year and four months will be spent on exercise. So unless you're Kendrick, that's bumped up a little bit, but about one year and four months will be spent on exercise. Three years and two months on vacation, so we get a little bit of a bump up. Uh, check this out. Four years and six months of your whole life will be eating. Just You'll eat for four years and six months. All right, here's where the jump uh, really kicks, and this is where I was like, this is so depressing. 11 years and four months of your life will be spent on a screen. Whew. 11 years and four months 
of your 80 years we've spent on a screen. Um, here we go. 13 years and two months will be spent working. Hallelujah. And this is even, this is the best part. 33 years will be spent in bed. So uh, the study said 26 of those years will be sleeping. And then seven, you will spend seven years of your life trying to sleep. <laughs> seven years of your life will be spent just trying to sleep. I was like, holy smoke, that is terrible. And there's like 10 years of stuff in between. Um, okay, here's the, here's the point I share that all. Here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. There is nothing in your life that you will spend more time doing than working. Sleep is the one exception. So when you're awake and you're actually conscious and you're alive in the world, you will spend no more time on anything else in your entire life but working. And here's why this matters, especially for us as Christians. That means that the most prominent and primary place in your life that you will bear witness to Christ and his kingdom is at your work. And so I was thinking about this really, really deeply. Like, if you want to think right, and if you want to, like, be on mission with Christ, and if you want to, like, take seriously, like, I'm sending you into the world, and you're, like, want to embrace that, for the Christian, we have to get work right. Because that is the place that we're going to bear witness to Christ. And honestly, I feel like God was really challenging me. And he's like, man, isn't it a tragedy? It's a tragedy for the Christian who doesn't think deeply about how their faith and work connect. It's an absolute tragedy. That's the place that God has us. And if we just go, I just want to spend time on prayer. I just want to spend time talking about community. I just want to hear sermons talking about how the gospel benefits me. And we don't actually think deeply as Christians about work. It's a tragedy. But on the other side of that, what an incredible opportunity if we as Christians actually commit, like, I'm actually going to think really deeply about where God has called me, what he has me doing, and how this actually affects my mission in the world as God's people. It really, really matters. Now, I know when I talk about work, because you can go to any small group or you talk, you just give like five minutes to any conversation, it's like, oh, work, you know? Um, And I know for many of you, I'm not trying to make light of that, work is hard, Work is a struggle. Work is difficult. I know many of you in the room right now feel like the job that you're in or the career that you're in is meaningless. I know many of, many of you in the room feel disappointed or unsatisfied with your work or your current work experience. Like you go to college, you literally get a degree in this thing and then you like go to like the career, you're like, oh my gosh, this is it? Have you, have you had a this is it moment with my job? All right, I don't even need to preach the sermon because apparently you guys are all good. But at the end of the day, some of us just flat out feel, we may not say it because we're like, we're good Christians, we have to say it all matters. Of course, it's all for the glory of God. But a lot of us, we just don't feel like our work matters. We don't feel like our work matters. And what I want to appeal to you tonight is, I don't want your struggle with work to rob you of the opportunity to unleash kingdom potential in your life. I don't want the struggle that you have with your work to rob you of the opportunity to unleash kingdom potential in your life that I feel like God wants to actually work in you and at your job. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's what I want to do tonight. I want to talk about kind of three big buckets of our work. Uh, I want to talk about how work is creational. I want to talk about how work is worship. 
And then I want to talk about how work is partnership. And um, I just, at the end of the day, I want us to have Jesus' mindset on our work and our career, and I want us to have kingdom perspectives as Christians. And so, listen, I know many of you didn't come in like, man, I'm really excited to hear about work, but I want to encourage you, hang in there. I'll try to make it as uh, relevant as possible, and uh, we'll jump in. So, okay, so first and foremost, work is creational. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody, um, this was probably like two months ago, and I'm not trying to like pick on this person, but I think it capt- this conversation captured, I think, a, a, lot of, a lot of mindsets that people just have and Christians in general. But I was, uh, we were at our house, and uh, this person was like, I can't wait to heaven. I'm literally impersonating their voice. I'm not going to do that. They're like, I can't wait till we get to heaven, and we won't have to work anymore. And I was like, oh, why do, why do you think we won't have to work? It's like, well, it's heaven. You don't have to work. I was like, no, I, I think we absolutely will have to work. He's like, nope, nope, we won't have to work. I was like, he's like, why do you think we'll have to work when we get to heaven? And I was like, well, work existed before sin entered the world. It was a part of God's design. It was a good part of his creation. It was creational. And so sin, like, the whole story of the Bible is God trying to restore what he originally intended for this world. I was like, if work existed before sin entered the world, then I think when God redeems the world, we're just going to have work, it's just going to be redeemed. He's like, nope. And I was like, he's like, no, he's like, I'm, I, I was like, who's going to cut your grass? <laughs> he's like, my grass won't grow. And I was like, okay, well, okay, we'll have to agree to disagree. I think we'll work. The point I'm trying to make is there is something in us that goes, I think the American dream of like, I want to like eat, sleep, be merry, retire early, do nothing, do whatever I want, kind of gets like sucked up into our hope as Christians. And so our hope for work isn't hope for redeemed work, it's hope for no work. And what I want to pose to you in this first part of this conversation is work is deeply creational and work is deeply good. Uh, A couple thoughts on this. One, uh, in the scriptures, God himself is presented as a worker. God himself in the scriptures presents himself in the very beginning as a worker. Genesis 1.1 says what? In the beginning, God what? Created. So in Genesis 1, we see that God is a creator. He makes this beautiful world. Uh, He doesn't, it's not perfect, but it's complete because he wants humans to continue that on. And then in Genesis 2, we see that God is not only a creator, but he works as a provider. So he makes this beautiful world. He makes Adam and Eve, and then he forms a garden, and then he starts providing for his creation. He starts, uh, he provides a wife for Adam. He provides rain. He provides uh, a garden for Adam to to work and to keep. And so God, right off the bat, he's a creator, he's a provider. Uh, Throughout the rest of the biblical story, we see that God is working as a sustainer. So he sustains his creation. He doesn't just create it and then like wind it up like a clock and let it go, but he's constantly sustaining every single one of you in this room. God's working as a sustainer. Uh, We see at the end of the biblical story that God works as a renewer. Uh, He, in a sense, remodels his world. He, He recreates it to what it originally intended to be. And then specifically in Genesis 1.28, we see God is a worker, but the humans that he made in his image, he created to work. Genesis 1.28 says this, says, God blessed them and said to them, that is humanity, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so right off the bat, we see not only is God working, but he's calling humans to carry on his work. I think a, um, 
like an illustration of how God intended humans to work in the world is like this. Think of like God as an artist, like an absolute masterpiece. And he's like making this beautiful, I'm not an artist at all, as you can clearly tell. So he's just painting, ask Jade. So like God's like, you know, he's making this beautiful world and you have this artist and he's painting and then he, uh, he doesn't finish it and he gives the paintbrush to somebody else, like his apprentice to say, now you finish what I did, but do it in my likeness. In the same way, God creates this world, he starts this beautiful masterpiece, and then he gives the responsibility of subduing, working to humanity. He says, go and do it in my image. And then what, what we also see in the scriptures from this is that work is, uh, it's not something that's secular. Oftentimes I have a lot of conversations with people, it's just like, you know, I have like the spiritual stuff that I do in this column, so it's like, read the Bible, pray, you know, read the Bible some more, go to church. Like, that's my spiritual life. Like, I got to grow in those areas. And then, like, we have, like, secular stuff. So this is, like, government and work and all this stuff. The Bible has no category for, like, the sacred-secular divide. What the Bible says is everything in the creation, everything in the world is underneath Christ's authority, and therefore everything in life is spiritual. Everything in life is spiritual. Your work is spiritual. It's good and it's necessary. Have you ever noticed... Uh, think about this for a second. Have you ever noticed somebody who either lost a job or somebody who retired early and they just completely stopped working, paid and unpaid, how they just like almost die as a human being? Like, have you ever noticed how much they struggle? I was uh, having a conversation with somebody like, all my friends that retired early, like literally like just died early. Like there's something in us that actually like needs work to survive. Tim Keller, who I'm going to quote a few times tonight, he wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor, and it's really good. I'm going to pull a couple quotes out of that book for you tonight, but he says this. He says, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. Listen to what he just said, because that's a profound statement. It's not simply medicine, but it's food for the soul. According to the Bible, We don't merely need money from work to survive. We need the work itself to survive and live fully human lives. What Keller is getting at here, he's saying work isn't, uh, it's not secular, it's not a result of sin, it's not bad, it's not even neutral. He's saying work is a gift, it's necessary, it's deeply sacred, and it's deeply spiritual. He goes on to say this. He says, if the Holy Spirit is not only, guys, I want you to listen to this quote because this is phenomenal. He says, if the Holy Spirit is not only a preacher that convicts people of sin and grace, so in John it talks about how the Holy Spirit will go and it will convict the world of sin and grace. He says, but if the Holy Spirit is also a gardener and an artist and an investor in creation who renews the material world, then it cannot be more spiritual and God-honoring to be a preacher than to be a farmer, artist, or banker. To give just one example, evangelism is temporary work. Everybody's like, if you were to ask Christians, like, evangelism, it's like, yeah, that's, you're spiritual. Like, like, that's a, he goes, no, evangelism is temporary work, while musicianship is permanent work. In the new creation, preachers will be out of a job. Good news for me. Ultimately, the purpose of evangelism is to bring about a world in which musicians will be able to do their work perfectly. Do you get what he's trying to say? All right, I want to bring this relevant to us. I have so many conversations with so many seven tenors, and it's wonderful. It's probably the favorite part of my job. But um, 
eventually we, our conversation always gets to work. And a very common conversation that I'll have is like, I'll get somebody who like, is sitting down with me and is like, man, my job sucks. It's like, well, that sucks. Sorry, your job sucks. And they're like, dude, it, just, it, it must be just like so rewarding doing what you do. So, like, it has to be, like, soul, like, deep in your soul. Like, that has to be so rewarding. Like, what I do over there, like, it's just meaningless. I'm just punching numbers. I'm just punching a clock. I'm just filling the blank. And they're like, but you, wow, you're amazing. That's, that's what I'm hearing. I'm like, they're not actually saying that. What they're getting at, they say that to other people, not me. They're like, what you're doing is so spiritual and so good. And then I'll, I'll even get this often, like, you're just doing the Lord's work out there. And I was like, and you're not, you know? But, like, there's something that, like, people believe that, like, being, like, in ministry, vocationally out of church is, like, the most spiritual thing. And I just feel like what I want to just absolutely explode tonight is the Bible does not see preaching or being a pastor or going overseas to do missions as something that's more meaningful than being really good at banking. I can preach a great sermon and you can do a really good job at being a loving, kind, and efficient and effective real estate agent and God goes, both are just as spiritual and both are just as honoring and both are worship to me. I, can read, I could lead... Jade, let's stop using me. Jade, could you lead an incredible women's study? She's great at it. And then you have a single mom who's trying to raise their child, trying to work, and God goes, both are just as spiritual and both are just as honoring. Let me ask you this. Do you view your work with that level of sacredness? Do you go, what I do is deeply spiritual? I was talking with Jade before this. I think I was wrapping a cable right there. And I was like, Jade, I have a question for you. It's like, do you believe that what we're doing right now is just as spiritual as the sermon that's about to happen tonight? She was like, yes, Corey, I believe it. <clears throat> but I was saying that because I was trying to, I was preaching that to myself. And God's like, don't you, don't you think that you wrapping this cable is less spiritual than what you're about to do in front of the room tonight? Work is creational, whether you're in education, food industry, work facilities, business, paid or unpaid, whatever you're doing, if your work is God-given to you and it's creational, then it's worship and it's spiritual, which leads me to my next thing. Work is worship. Now, I think one of like, this is almost like a life verse. You know, like those verses that like you forget about, but you hear it, you're like, that's my new life verse. Like, I'm going to come back to that over and over. I remember when I was doing a discipleship school with Dan Moon in the back, like year, I think it was like five years ago when I first started uh, on staff full time here. We were doing some, we we're doing uh, something called Surge, and as, as part of Surge discipleship is on work and career and vocation. And I remember when I read this verse, and it absolutely blew my mind. It's so simple, but it's so profound. If you really sit on these words and you think about the implications of what it's trying to say, it's absolutely profound. In First Corinthians seven seventeen, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, nevertheless. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has what? Assigned to them. Just as God has what? Called as what? Them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. This is so good, I'm just going to make you read it with me one more time. All right, read it with me. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. 
just as God has called them. This is the rule I laid down in all my churches. So what the Apostle Paul in its original context is dealing with in this passage is he's, he's dealing with, um, essentially there's, uh, in the Corinthian church, there's stuff going on, people are getting saved, and people think, in order to please God, I need to get out of the place that I'm in, and I need to go to another place because that's more spiritual, I can honor God. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, don't, you don't need to move out of your current place to start worshiping me and start pleasing me. He says, instead, view the place that God has you, whether you feel like it's your vocational sweet spot or whatever, view the place that God has called you to or the place that you're in as an assignment and as a calling. So here's, if, here's what I, I want to get the implication right on you in the beginning. The implication of this verse is where you are right now, whether it's where you're going to be in a month or five years or ten years, it's not, quote, just a job. It's literally an assignment from the living God. Where you are right now is an assignment. And I think if I could just imprint something on you, if we could, if we could even change our language as Christians to say, instead of like, this is a personal career, this is my career, if we just change the word career to calling. This is my calling, it's not just a career. And what Paul is saying, if it's an assignment and if it's the place that God has called you, your work is worship. Because the place that you've been placed in is the place that you've been called to praise in. The place that God has placed you in, whether you like it or not, is the place that he wants to praise you in. Now, I don't mean like you just start singing, blessed be your name, at work. You should, that's awesome. But it's you live out a life of praise by living out your job as a calling and as an assignment from the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Amen, Jade says. Thank you, Jade. Um, so I, I listened to a podcast and... Uh, it was talking about this kind of illustration of viewing how we do what we do, and I thought it was really helpful. I literally was going to grab an envelope and give you every single, every single one of you an envelope to help this stick, but then I was like, what an incredible waste of paper, and so I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> but, okay, so I have this envelope here, and back in the day, I don't know if this is true, but it's going to work for this, for this moment. Ray, you can correct me later, and Abel, because you guys are military dudes. But back in the day, back in the day before there was like cell phones or uh, like you could call people, uh, when, when the military was kind of at war and they had a, like a secret um, assignment or a secret operation, uh, what they would do is they would have a sealed envelope and they would have like the person or whatever, their name, they would have it on their envelope. So here, you can't read it, but my name is on this envelope. And they would, what they have is uh, they would have this envelope and there's like a secret order for this particular general with this particular squad. And the superior would say, hey, I have secret orders for this soldier. Uh, would, you, um, would you deliver this? And so the soldier would go, uh, or the messenger, and they would deliver the, the, uh, the assignment in a closed envelope, and the specific plans were inside with the name on the outside, and it was sealed so nobody else could see it except for the person who was responsible for the call. And when I was listening to this podcast, it was saying, you, we need to view where we are that God has us as like a sort of secret orders that God is giving us as our commanding officer. So scripture talks about this all the time. It talks about God as a, like an officer and we are like soldiers in the army of God. And there are secret orders that God has for you. And uh, one of the things that would be so incredible, if you just took an envelope and you had it with you and you stuck, you stuck it in your car and before you went to work, you just got like, this is literally like, this is a sacred secret order that God has given me as a soldier in his army, as a faithful citizen of his kingdom. Like there is nobody else who has this secret order except me. And when 
back to that conversation of what I was talking about with people say like, hey man, your work must be so meaningful. I don't necessarily think my work is that meaningful just because it's preaching or pastoring or any of that stuff. I really think my work has become meaningful to me over the years because I really believe in the deepest parts of my heart that this is God's closed envelope for me in this season. Where I go, Lord, all I know is right now is you've given me an envelope, my name's on it, it's not given to anybody else, and you're saying, you go, love, lead, care for 710, and I will give you a new envelope when something else comes up. But for now, that is my call to you, and I want you to own it. And I want you to worship me in it. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says this. Think about this through the lens of where God has called you. It says, You then, my son, this is Paul writing to his apprentice, Timothy. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And I love this. He says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Let me ask you this. Who are you trying to please in your job right now? Who are you trying to please? Is it your, yourself? Your coworkers? Is it your parents? Is it society? Or is it your commanding officer, Jesus Christ, who says, McBurney, Congratulations, you just got hired at the fire department. Go please me there. Your work is worship. Tim Keller says this, he says, remember that something can be a vocation only if some other party calls you to do it and you do it for their sake rather than for your own. Our daily work can be a calling only if it is seen as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. We are to see work as a way of service to God and our neighbor, and so we should conduct our work with that purpose. And he says this, this revolutionary way of looking at work gives all work common and, I love this, exalted purpose to honor God by loving our neighbors and serving them through your work. Our work is worship. Amen? All right, last thing. Um, the scriptures also show us that work is partnership. Now, this is the one that I actually feel like if you grab a hold of, well, um, that meaninglessness that you feel, like, because anybody could say, like, hey, just worship God at your work. All right, I'm gonna do this for the glory of God. But I feel like this really gets at, like, something truly beautiful that we can grab a hold on in our jobs. So here's the beauty about God. He is constantly... Hi, buddy. I know that cry, the baby cry. <clears throat> that's not even a cry, that's a cough. Anyway, sorry, I just got distracted. All right, back to sermon. Um, here's the beauty about God. He is always serving the world at every moment. I love scriptures that talks about how God, what, he sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, he blesses the righteous, and he blesses the ungodly. God is, uh, Psalm 145, we won't turn there, but it talks about how God satisfies the desires of every living creature. Notice it doesn't say Christians. It says God satisfies the desires of every living creature, and it says, and he gives them their food in their due season. So here's one of the things that's really profound about our work. If God is always serving the world and always giving his blessing through the world, how is he doing it? through people, through his image, 
So if God is at work serving the world by providing food and clothing, how is he doing it? Well, he uh, created humans with the desire to make clothing. He, uh, he created, like, this is where I'm like, to talk about stuff I don't know. But he created people to design really cool basketball jerseys like, like Ray is wearing, where he goes, oh, that's cool. And then he creates people that work at the manufacturer to create those jerseys. And then he creates stores where those things can be sold. And then, okay, all right, food. How do you get food? If God gives you food every day, we pray Lord's Prayer. What do we pray? Give us this day what? Our daily bread. Then we go to the grocery store and we buy our food, don't we? So how is God giving you food? Through farmers? Through people who stock shelves at the grocery store? Through people who on the checkout will scan? Like God is always and constantly, he's providing through the world. He's providing for the world through your work. So I want to ask you a question tonight. If you are struggling with your job right now, if you are struggling, how is what I'm doing actually like meaningful? You have to examine it in this light. How am I, how is what I'm doing partnering with God and bringing blessing to the world? So here's three questions that I think you can personally ask. First, uh, and you can write these down and think about it and brainstorm yourself. One, how does my work participate in God's work in the world? That's just a different way of saying what I'm doing now. Two, how does my current calling contribute to the good of the world? Similar things of saying the same thing. Three, and how can I do my job in a way that brings blessing to those around me? Somehow right now, whether you're an engineer, whether you're working facilities, whether you're a farmer, I don't know if we've ever had a farmer who's a 7-10er, but I'd love to meet you if you're a farmer. Whatever you're doing right now, in some way, God is bringing a good to the world through your job. Now, you may not be at the end of that where you see people pleased. You may not be at the beginning, but you're in, you're in the process of God bringing good to the world. Does that make sense? All right, I have, I have two implications, and then I want to wrap this thing up. Okay, if our, if our work is creational, which we've already discussed that it is, if our work is worship, which we've discussed that it is, and if our work is partnership, I have... Like, literally two things. Like, if you want to be sent by Christ and shine bright in your workplace, we need to do our work in two specific ways. The first thing that we see is that we need to work hard, work well, and work with integrity. Colossians 3.23-24 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with what? All your heart. As working for your boss. Nope. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is, in whatever you're doing right now, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. One more time for fun. I want you to get this. It is the Lord Christ, 710, you are serving in whatever you're doing right now. Now, I want to I push on this. Maybe this is more of a rebuke, and I'll encourage. If our work is worship unto the Lord, if it is the Lord Christ we are serving, it is, I want to be careful what I say, it's disrespectful to not work hard. If you are a Christian, and you want to shine bright in your workplace, I'm telling you, you better be the hardest, the hardest worker. I'm not saying you need to overwork. 
I'm not saying that you need to exhaust yourself. God also says rest. But you should be known as you're at your work as a really, really, really hard worker. And you should seek to do it with the best that you can. Why? Because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So if you're like grabbing Chick-fil-A sandwiches, work as hard as you can. If I'm preaching, I better do it as best as I can. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for him. And you better hold me accountable to that. If your job is to, to scrub toilets, scrub them as clean as you possibly can because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Amen? Okay. Two, we need to work joyfully without grumbling. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says this, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars. Okay, I'm going to push a little bit more. I feel like, <clears throat> have you ever been to a small group? Let's listen to this. When you go to a small group, I feel like there's like this comparison grumbling game that we all play with each other. And I, it, it, uh, I participate in it, so I'm not trying to say, I'm, I'm going to, we, you, me, we all. Um, <clears throat> but it, it, I think when I think about it in, in light of like everything that we've discussed tonight, I'm like, why do we do this as Christians? You ever been in a small group? It's like, how's your week? Well, you know, work. Oh, yeah. Tell me how much it sucked this week. It's like, dude, my boss. And, uh, you know, like the things that I have to, oh, it's just, it's the worst. And then you're sitting there and you're like, how can I prove that mine's harder? And then it's like, well, yeah, I know, but wow, that's horrible. You know, I just really feel like, you know, this week uh, my boss said this, and you think your boss is bad, you should think, you know, and you think your job sucks, you should, I mean, and we just, you, got, you, you know what I'm saying? We just like, we talk to each other just like about how much, how horrible it is. And scripture says, it's not just a command like do everything without grumbling, but listen, if you're worshiping, you can't grumble. If you're worshiping, you can't grumble. And, and I am not saying as Christians that, we, uh, that like we're like, work actually does suck and it's really hard right now and you're trying to worship in it and you're like, no, it's great, I promise, there's no problems. Like, there's a difference between like grumbling and like, man, this is hard, will you pray for me? I want to honor God in this. I'm not sure, like, I'm just struggling, pray for me. That's a whole different conversation than like this comparison struggle game that we all have. And so I just want to say, man, if I could just like pull us all together and be like, listen, let's not grumble our way through God's call, let's walk gratefully through it. You can still be grateful even if it's hard. And I'm saying this to myself, and I just say, I really feel like if there are, if there are, um, if there are two ways that I'm like, you want to shine bright in your workplace, work hard, as hard as you can, do it as best as you can, don't grumble, be grateful, take an interest in others, you tell me that won't shine in your workplace. I really believe that it will. All right, we got to wrap this up. Sound good? All right, let me, let me address the elephant in the room and the obvious thing. Work is still hard. Uh, and it doesn't live up to our expectations. And uh, I, I know I keep saying this, but it does suck sometimes. Uh, I don't want to diminish that, and I want to talk about why. Um, scripture is very clear. Uh, work is a burden because there's been a burden placed on work. Uh, scripture says that as, uh, the world has been cursed 
uh, sin has ravaged God's world. And in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but it says that there has been a curse placed on work and that we will have thorns and thistles. God says, Adam, when you work the ground, you're going to experience thorns and thistles. In other words, your job isn't thorns and thistles, but the experience of working is thorns and thistles. Does that make sense? And so here's the thing. Work is frustrating not because work is a curse, but like I said, but because work itself has been cursed. And uh, work isn't a burden. It's just that there's been a burden placed on work. And this is the sobering reality of why we have to not get too comfortable in the time that we wait for Christ to return is because we need to learn that we need to accept that there will be thorns and thistles in our work. I find that the people that are the most ungrateful and struggle with their work, including myself on those days, it's because I'm hoping for the type of work that will only exist in God's future paradise. But God says, listen, you're going to experience good now, but there's going to be thorns and thistles. Don't expect that there won't be thorns and thistles. And so what this means, this isn't just like it'll be hard. What this means is there are deep longings. There are deep God-given longings that each one of you have. There are aspirations that you guys have, dreams. Like you guys, ever, when you get that, you're like dreaming, like, man, like this is going to be beautiful that you will never experience. There's things that I dream about in ministry for myself, for you guys, for these people. And I believe those are God-given but the thorns and thistles is, I may never see some of those things. You actually might not fully experience complete contentment in your work. And I want to pose to you tonight is that the gap is a gift. The gap you experience in your work from what you hoped it would be and where things are, that gap is a gift. And here's why it's a gift. Because it teaches you to long. Does it not? Even if you don't have words for it, what does it make you want to do? Is there something else? Will something, like, will there be a fruitfulness to what I'm dreaming? Like, I feel like these things are God-given. Why aren't they happening? It teaches you to long. And what Scripture says is, listen, there are deep longings, aspirations, and you may never meet that in this age, but in the age to come, in God's future paradise, in the renewed world, you will have aspiration, dreams, and things that you can never even comprehend a dream up that you will experience at your deepest level in your work. And so what this gap does is it, the gap is a gift because it teaches us to recognize, listen, things are not the way they're supposed to be. That gap is a blessing because it makes you go, Lord, I want a redeemed work. We never really articulate it that way, but we do. We want it. And you know what it makes us do? It makes us want Christ more. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to treat that gap as a gift. Amen? Guys, I just want to encourage you tonight. God has a special plan on each and every one of your lives. Where God has called you right now may not be where you're going to be, but where he has called you right now is a calling. It's a kingdom assignment. It's not just a job. So may we be a people that live out Christ's kingdom in the places that he has put us. Amen? Let's pray. We love you, Jesus. And God, we thank you, um, God, that you are redeeming this world. God, uh, not just that we may have relationship with you, yes, Lord, but God, you're redeeming even just the very uh, nature of life itself, God, creation, work. And God, we, we look forward to the day where we can work without thorns and thistles. 
And so, Lord, um, would you forgive us for the ways that we have not worked from a place of worship? Um, God, I confess when our worship has not been on you. God, I confess that. God, we, we, uh, we confess our grumbling. Um, but Lord, we also ask for mercy and grace, Lord, to truly see where we are as a calling from you. And God, would you give us the contentment we need to even be content? And God, would you move us past contentment? Would you move us into contentment that leads to joy? God, may we joyfully serve you because it is the Lord Christ we are serving. And Jesus, by our work and the way that we uh, conduct the places and the jobs that you've given us, Lord, I pray that those who don't know you would see us serving in really hard places with joy and go, that's different. So Lord, make us into that people. Let us hold each other accountable to that. And Lord, may we serve you from a deep place in our heart because Lord, we worship you, we love you, and we pray this all in your wonderful name. Amen.